You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 50. This week's topic, Refuse to Do Nothing. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahovia. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And we are recording our 50th episode today, Sandy, and uh, it's a great milestone for the show. Isn't that great? It's like our golden show. It is our golden show, and we have a golden guest today. That's right. She's a California girl. There you go. Mm, I am so happy to have Kim Yim here and actually Kimberly McCowan Yim, who is co-author with Shane Moore of the newly released book, Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern Day Slavery. Welcome to our podcast, Ending Human Trafficking, Kim. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I've known Kim since she started coming to local task force meetings several years ago. And I remember the first time that she started really being an outspoken advocate. She called herself an abolitionist mama. Mm -hmm. Tell us how that happened, Kim. Kind of stumbled upon that name. Um, My co-author Shane had was writing a blog called Theology Mama. And I was just starting to do research and going to meetings and trying to figure out my place in this movement and, and trying to f- figure out what I could do from, um, from my busy kitchen and from being my life, a life as a mom. And I, one of the first things I did was create these postcards on Vista print and it had the facts on one side and it had a list of 10 things to do on the other side. And I had to name my, project for Vistaprint and I just named it Abolitionist Mama and not knowing that when I once I purchased those postcards and when they came to my mail that that was actually printed on the corner of every postcard I did not know that the naming that project would actually end up on the product so um, kind of by default I ended up with all these materials that said Abolitionist Mama on it and I just kind of ran with it. Oh, I didn't know that part of the story. I just thought you were just so, okay, I'm a soccer mom and now I'm going to be an activist. Yeah, I don't think I'm that quite that so. clever. <laughs> so how old are your kids? Uh, my oldest is 11 and my youngest is nine. Okay. So it's not like you can just take off and become an on the road activist or become involved in being available to pick up victims anytime, day or night. Right. No, no. So finding your place in the anti-human trafficking movement, was it just crystal clear for you right from the get go? Absolutely not. No, no, no. It took me, it probably took me close to nine months of reading and kind of stumbling into meetings and conferences and asking questions and doing a ton of other reading and signing up for to kind of slowly start finding my my place and my voice and being okay that I wasn't an expert at those events or those meetings that it was okay that I didn't come with a card or I wasn't with someone um once I kind of said okay maybe that's what I've got going for me is that I'm not with something. Maybe I saw that, but what I thought was a limitation actually uh, kind of became my place. Um, 
then I started kind of getting a little traction and kind of hope and the next step emerged. One of the things that really attracted me to the work that you've done in this book is that it leaves space for every single person to take a role, but not to leave behind the rest of their life. It's not like you're being called out to do this, but that we all can do something. And I love that you call it refuse to do nothing. So there is a decision-making process. Yeah. Um, So tell us a little bit about why you decided to write it into a book. Well, that my co-author Shane and uh, and I, um, she's actually an old friend from college. I actually was very good friends with and still am with her husband and started following what she was doing with the one campaign and her fight against uh, extreme global poverty and the HIV AIDS pandemic in sub-Saharan Africa, kind of started seeing what she was doing and thought, if she's doing all these traveling, she's going to be seeing some of this. And I'm sure she's seeing this. I need to tell her about it. So I kind of was reaching out more as you, when you're doing all this other stuff, you need to also be paying attention to this. And she kind of kept pushing back saying, well, you need to be writing about this. You need more of a broader voice. And I kept saying, well, I got San Clemente covered. I got my four friends and we're kind of educating our community and doing these events. And she's said, no, you need to do more. And she came to my house one day and started my blog for me. She's like, you need to push your voice out. There are more women like you. And so in time, she had called and she's like, I'm ready. And I said, what are you ready for? She's like, I'm ready to write her book. And I'm like, what book? And she said, the book that you have in your head. So we both kind of feel like we were able to write the book that I wish I had four years ago. So mm. it it was really not, and I realized when she said that, that by now, by then, I actually, I had to add 10 chapters. I did have sections in my head that I thought this would be a really helpful tool for the ordinary everyday person. I think it helps that um, you taught seventh grade English, huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. And ironically, uh, Shane, my co-author, did as well. Oh. I mean, she was, yeah, we laugh. We're like, who knew? I mean, I don't know if there's anything there, but mm, go okay. educators. <laughs> so so there, I think part of my fascination with your story is that you didn't wait to go to school, become an expert, but you right. did turn to experts and, and you looked at your own personal circumstances to see what you could do. Um, I found that this book was rich in history as well. So who are some of the people from our history that you cited in this book and and kind of inspired you? Yeah, I stumbled upon a book uh, called The Great Army of Silent Abolitionists, and I believe it was um, a dissertation of sorts. And it started telling line by line just stories of women of the first uh, abolitionist movement of the 18th century, I mean, the 1800s. And I started seeing that these were ordinary women that were not okay with the circumstances around them and the way people were enslaved. And they they really refused to do nothing. I mean, they might have been uh, the wives of farmers raising 10 kids, and yet they still made sure that they had time to be a part of like sewing a quilt or attending an, attending an abolitionist movement or raising money for a speaker and story after story of these women kind of emerged. And a few of them 
uh, we know a little bit more about uh, like the Grimke sisters, Angela, Angelina and Sarah Grimke. And mm. uh, these women who, the, at least those sisters uh, grew up in the South. Their, their father was a plantation owner and owned a number of slaves. And probably in his neck of the woods, he was probably considered a very successful, bu- successful business guy. And they were not okay with what was going on uh, in their own family, family business. They were not okay with slavery. And yet they were trying to initially kind of communicate to their own Southern sisters about, we need to do something, this is not right, and not finding a whole lot of traction in the South. And they actually moved to the North and kind of joined forces with the abolitionist movement that was going on there. And uh, I was very inspired by... I mean, I thought I had a busy home life and had some limitations being, you know, primarily a stay-at-home mom. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. These women had some, they didn't even have a vote, you know. I have a lot more power at my disposal than they did. And so there's definitely something I thought I could do. So, and that's one of the things that is um, a theme through this book is about power. Explain why. Well, I think initially for me, and I'm kind of hearing similar stories over the last few years, is that, um, well, I guess I should back up. One particular quote that Gary Haugen wrote in his book, um, Terrify No More, is he's, I'm going to paraphrase, I don't have it in front of me. He says something to the fact that uh, the perpetrators of evil, you know, kind of like standby perpetrators of evil when the good people in places of power rise up. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm summarizing. Mm-hmm. But when I first read that, I thought, well, I might be a good person, but he must be talking about someone else when he's talking about good people in places of power because I did not see myself as someone in places of power. But uh, that, I think that is where I'm hearing time and time again is that there's other men and women who are feeling like I'm not a person of place of power. That is our politicians, that are celebrities, people with platforms on which that will get people's attention. Um, those are people of places of power. And what I began to start seeing is, no, 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 I'm looking at it the wrong way. The power that I do have is I have voting power. I have advocacy power as living in the United States with the vote that we have. I mean, people fought for that freedom mm. and tirelessly fought for years, uh, decades and decades. And I, I have to see that that is a real I have a real legit voice and I need to use it. And so advocacy power, relationship power, um, the, in, the people that I influence in my, in my family and my neighbors and my church community and the women that I, we drop our kids off at school. Like these are, these are who people who were put in my life and I have that in that influence and influence to do what influence to, um, engage with me influence to educate and begin to kind of open their eyes. Um, what I was finding initially though, is not everyone was ready to hear, right? You're not, you know, <laughs> so you, you kind of have to find creative ways to get people's, people's attention. That's why events are great and showing screenings in people's homes or creating like, uh, a, 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 I, I guess a desirable place or something. Um, uh, I, my, one of my first times I th- threw a screening at my house, um, I offered chocolate and wine just in hopes that just a little bit of chocolate and wine might entice someone to actually come over to my house and see a film on slavery. But, um, and it worked, you know, I mean, it, 
but it wasn't those initial conversations. Sometimes for some people it took about two or three touches with it. Um, and then purchasing power. I mean, I began to see that the, the things that I buy, uh, I, I, I can no longer see that the things that I buy and the things that I spend as neutral, that mm. they had, that they had value. It wasn't every purchase when I started to learn of who made it, why is this so cheap? What was going on in the production of this? When I started asking those questions with a little bit of information, I started questioning, I wonder why this is so cheap. I wonder if when this is made here, I began to ask because I began to see that the money I spent actually impacted someone else's life. Mm. And um, I began to see that I could start redirecting my spending for, for good. And, um, and then the power of prayer. I mean, I think mm. I definitely underestimated that initially. And now I see it as a, and have been reminded of, of it even by some real world leaders on the anti-trafficking who've said we cannot underestimate that. Mm. Wow. So when I first took a look at this book, I was amazed at how you broke the chapters down into manageable size themes. And uh, I particularly liked how at the end of each chapter, there was an opportunity to stop and process before you Mm -hmm. go on to the next chapter. Consequently, I think this is a great study for a small group, whether it's a junior high class or a women's group or a men's group. I I do um, hope that people do not assume that because women wrote this, that this is for a women's group. Right. I think that the content here is is suitable for for any any group. So in the at the end of the first chapter, the reflections are think about the idea of good people in places of power. What does this mean to you? And of course, I turned that into a question for you because you're the author. (laughs) And then the second reflection, in what ways are you a good person in a place or places of power? And so the the structure of this book lets me look at other people and Mm -hmm. see what they're doing and then turn that that light back on myself. Right. So that light shines and I find places that I didn't know I had. Right. And I just think that's inspiring. That's great. That's so so here's um, here's my next question. Some of the material that you wove into this that is really important for people to have as takeaways. What do you think that they need to know everybody? I mean, everybody has a different way of, right. of doing this, but some of the content that you want everybody to know. Well, I, I think we both would say we want everyone to know the National Human Trafficking Hotline number. Oh, let's say it together. Okay. 888-3737-888. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think time and time again, that's when people say, what's the one thing? I said, turn on your phone and put the hotline number in. 888-3737-888. That, because we do become the eyes on the ground and we help. I mean, we're in the daily, we're in the nuances of the day-to-day life. But how does someone know when to call? I keep telling people when things don't quite seem quite right to you, you do not, you do not have to have all the answers or see an entire crime unfold before you to call the hotline number and say, I'm at the corner of this and this, this is what I'm seeing. This doesn't seem quite right. I thought you should know. And they might ask you some follow-up questions 
like, why doesn't it seem quite right? Well, the shades are drawn. It's like nine o'clock at night, but it says open and they can't, you can't go through the front door. You have to go through the back alley. I mean, I don't, I mean, mm-hmm. these are some real circumstances that are I've around my reported. neighborhood mm-hmm. and, or, you know, there were some kids that came by to sell these paintings at my house and I asked them a few questions. Like my case, this, the girl had a cell phone, but the cell phone only dialed her ride. She couldn't call, you know, like, what is that about? She's from what country and she's selling paintings and she's here for what? Like it didn't add up to me. Mm. So I gave her the hotline number and I called it myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know what this is about, but this is the second time, you know, my neighborhood and could just be a scam. I don't know, but there's a few things that did not add up. And, um, so I think when things don't add up, I think we can, and we can use that number and, Mm. um, some other, I think that be that I think kind of looking at your spending, Mm -hmm. I think is for everyone can look for, look at your spending and where you're spending. I think an immediate change can be chocolate and coffee. Very like with a whole lot of little effort, you know, in terms of I think think sometimes people think they have to have all those answers. And if they just see things like someone who doesn't speak English and someone else is doing all the talking and they never seem to leave the work premises, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, you go visit your grandmother in an elder care facility or at a restaurant where you have the same waitress every single time you go in. It's like nobody works that many shifts. Right. What is that about? What is that about? And just asking questions. And really, for a lot of times, people have this idea that, well, I don't want to call the hotline and be wrong. Right. But actually, the people at the National Human Trafficking Resource Center emphasize that they are a resource center, and you can call them even if you just have a question. Right. So, yeah. And it, and it creates data, right? So it starts showing where some of the concerns are for the people and helps then you know, they'll, I don't know if you, what your experience has been, but my experience is they've also encouraged me to call my local non-emergency number, for the mm, police department, okay, the local police yeah. department. They've said, you know, that's a good tip. Why don't you call the non-emergency line for the police department? And it's been helpful. One of your, um, one of your chapters is about being a nosy neighbor. It's all about, <laughs> it, there's a list in here on, for those of you who have the book and are turning to the page, where to look for slavery, house cleaning services, landscape, households in which domestic home workers are present, large scale agricultural operations, construction sites, casinos, garment factories, hotels, nail salons, migrant communities, zones known for prostitution, strip clubs, massage parlors, and domestic violence situations. You know, here in Orange County, we've had a number of what are called servile marriages where um, uh, the brides, and I'm using air quotes for our listeners, have actually been brought here from abroad through some kind of a marriage broker, some kind of internet uh, matching service. And then they literally become slaves in um, a marriage uh, fraud situation. And because it is fraudulent, it ends up falling under um, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act because the means of enslaving them was fraud. Right. So, um, so yeah, okay. So then you your next chapter is about the Congo and your phone. Yeah. Come on. I don't live in Africa. Yeah. 
Yeah, that one surprised me as well. I mean, I four years ago, I did not, it didn't even dawn on me what it took to build my cell phone. And when I started realizing that part of part of the problem that's going on in these countries with a lot of conflict. So for instance, um, the one that I was familiar with that I mentioned uh, um, is what's going on in Congo is part of the conflict are these, the fight over these mines and what these, what these militia groups are fighting over are minerals in the mines. So they're enslaving their own people to work in these mines for these minerals that ultimately end up in my cell phone and in our computers and in any electronics. And, and I thought, well, then I'm just going to give up my phone and I'm just going <laughs> to give up my computer. And I realized, uh, even when I was doing research, people that were in that front lines were like, that's not going to be helpful either. If everyone just boycotts, because mm-hmm. it's, we have a whole big complex economy, global economy right now. Um, but we can begin to start asking our electronic companies, what are you doing to monitor your supply chains? We want a clean supply chain where no human being is being enslaved in the production of our products. And it's possible. And a few companies have started saying, yeah, we want to know too. I mean, mm-hmm. Apple was like, yeah, I don't even know if the minerals that end up on our products have been on the backs of slaves in Congo. And they began to ask these questions. We need a three part, we need a third party auditor. Let's figure this out. And so, but it's helpful that it's consumers that are going to have to start asking those questions going, what are you doing? Because if we're not paying attention and we don't care, the the bigger companies are not going to care. I mean, if they're, it's a supply and demand thing. If they're, Mm -hmm. people are buying their products are saying, we want this, we want slave free products. They're going to say, oh, well, we got to get our slave free product. We got to be able to show our customers what we're doing and how our supply chains are clean. I love the fact that California and my, we've talked about this before here, um, the California Supply Chain Transparency Act is a fabulous tool for the everyday person to be able to say to our big companies, where did all the pieces of this come from? And in a podcast we had not too long ago, we had guests here from Congo and we talked about the children and the women and even men that are forced into those mines. And then they, they also said to us that that kind of supply chain transparency is becoming something that the big businesses are demanding. So they won't buy particular minerals from the Congo mine because everybody knows that it's slave labor. However, now new criminal enterprises have risen up, and so they smuggle the coltan out of Congo to a neighboring country who then says, oh, we have a coltan mine, and this uh-huh. has been produced in a slave-free country. Hmm. And so so then it gets really complicated doing right. supply chain transparency right. and asking those questions. And I think, I think that's when um, the idea of, of relationship power and right. influence power really becomes something we have to be in it for the long the haul. The long haul, absolutely. Mm. And I think that is, that's an excellent point because I don't think there's ever been a time in history where something of massive injustice has been solved overnight, right? It's, it's generations of people uh, that are not, are, are no longer brushing a problem under the rug, but are saying, 
doesn't matter how long this takes, we're in it until it's done, until it's finished, until there's no more of it. And I think that, you know, we talked earlier that, that the marathon that it takes, um, the determination and, and the resolve to just go, that's it. It's line in the sand. No human life should be enslaved and we're not going to stop and we're going to stick with it until that's the case. And you closed your final chapter, really ask a question, what is still needed? So answer right. that for us. Yeah, that one was fun because um, I have oftentimes, um, there's been a, a variety of people in my in my own life that I think I want to, the job's not done until all these first responders, everyone who's working with kids, um, all of our church leaders, until every person understands what the problem is, because we all have a role in our jobs. I mean, teachers have a great role in prevention and education, and they're seeing dynamics at school that parents may not be, that even administration may not be. Um, our nurses and our ER doctors are those first responders, our law enforcement. So it cro- business people, when they're starting new business enterprises and restaurant, I mean, it touches everyday life. And so a certain amount of what's still needed is everyone in their jobs to being have a certain level of education and knowing so that they can recognize it when they see it. Um, and, obvious, and the more ordinary people to say, yeah, I'm an abolitionist. I don't want to see any more slavery exist in my backyard. I now know what trafficking, human trafficking is, and, and I'm going to be paying attention to it. Uh, so I think a lot of, and the, the creativity of, um, What's still needed is, uh, I think that, that everyday person, but also it'll be interesting to see what kind of creative new ventures kind of come out. I've been, was very inspired by, uh, Rose when I saw her bakery in, um, Cambodia, I was very, very inspired. Tell us us about Rose. Yeah, she was a mom and it was a, she really felt that, um, she kind of felt like she was hearing from God, take your cake baking skills to Cambodia. And, um, and she thought, what is this about Cambodia? I don't know any place about that. And so circumstance after circumstance kind of paved her way. And she just started providing uh, job training for rescued women um, from sex trafficking, she just started providing some job training and gave them like huge skills. So I think as we begin to see that, that everyday person began to see that maybe there's some real skills that we could begin offering for shelters, for rescue, because a lot of the people, once they are rescued, they need to transition into, um, into everyday society. Mm-hmm. And so they need some real, real life job skills. And bookkeeping and shipping. And we've seen some fun things in Orange County with some different NGOs um, providing job training here for trafficking victims here. And I think more and more of people sharing their hobbies, their their skills in that regards um, is very, a lot of the things I think are still needed. So if somebody were looking to hire a survivor, um, a good place to start would be to go to your local human trafficking task force or coalition and ask if there is a training program where you could um, possibly provide entry level jobs for their graduates. Yeah, that would be yeah, that would be great. What's going to be the next book? 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. We we actually are talking, but we don't have anything. I don't know. You'll keep us posted. I'll though. keep you posted. Yeah. So I was very um, honored to be asked to um, review this book. And I just want to tell you, Kim, that that really was an honor. And this is what I said. Refuse to do nothing offers the new anti-human trafficking activists a careful foundation for understanding and evaluating how to enter the battle and make her effort count. The authors build a solid case for individual responsibility in our own backyard. Additionally, the reflective exercises provide opportunity for a meaningful pause that fosters sustainable commitments. You guys all know I use the word sustainable, sustainable all the time. Yes. Rather than emotional highs that fade with time and distance. This is a small group study guide that I've been looking for and will recommend to students, community service groups, and churches. We are just delighted to have this and congratulations on a job. Yeah, well done. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you very much. I mean, I have to say you were definitely who I was going in those early days going, what is going on? How can I get involved? And I really looked at you as an expert on the first line and all your knowledge. So, I mean, I think you feel like you've contributed a lot to this end. Well, we'll keep working together. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to it. All right. And you're, you. what a model for seventh grade English teachers out there. <laughs> Here's something you can do. And I, I want to know how we can get our pause on this book. So uh, where we can go to uh, read the blog and get uh, on the book. Is it maybe on Amazon or a better place for us to go, Kim? Uh, you, yeah, yes. Yeah. So you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on InterVarsity Press, InterVarsityPress.com. They have them as well. That's our publisher. And... Um, I might add that this book is uh, one of the first of a new line of books from IVP, uh, the Crescendo line. Uh-huh. And it every every author of that line are women, w- women authors, and both fiction and nonfiction. And so they're really focused on kind of rate amplifying the women's voice in in print. And mm. um, it's a it's a great line of books they've been. Um, so this is one of the, f- the first of a few out of their, that particular new line of books. Great. Great. Well, we will post those links on, on the show notes great. and to your blog. I love your blog. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I suspect that folks might have some questions for either us or Kim, and we'll be sure to get those questions along to Kim. So if you do have questions, there's a couple of ways to uh, send us feedback, comments, questions, or feedback, you can email us at gcwj at vanguard.edu, or you can certainly call the Global Center for Women and Justice at 714-966-6360, and we're always happy to hear from you and to learn how we can answer your questions and put you in touch with more resources. Absolutely. And we want to thank you, Kim, for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. Thank you. Uh, Thank you both as always. And uh, just a reminder for our audience that if you aren't already on our newsletter, be sure to hop on to the Global Center for Women and Justice website. You can get there at gcwj.vanguard.edu. And just go to the lower left-hand corner and you will find uh, a place to get on our newsletter. You can stay up to date on things that the center is doing. And in the meantime, we will see you again in two weeks. Take care, everybody.